Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. It's, uh, it's really, really good to be with you again this morning. And thank you for that unforced welcome that you gave to me earlier on. That wee round of applause. That was a nice way to welcome the Shanks family back, actually. And it's good to see them. Uh, here. Uh, we have celebrated some milestones in our house over the last few while, so different sort of family milestones. Uh, so on the 4th of March, I was 50 years of age. No comments required, thank you. Uh, on the 10th of March, we were 20 years married. Uh, in September of this year, Ellie will be 18. And then next year in March, Lara will turn 16. So these are all sort of significant events. And I've been thinking a lot over the last few while about family. And that has, that's caused me to do it more as we sort of go through these different milestones. And I was speaking somewhere recently on this as well. And it's been in my mind over the last couple of weeks. So I thought I would just share something about that this morning. Let me say before I start, I have not got it sussed. Uh, so my context is uh, married with two teenage daughters. So first thing is I really do need your prayers. Uh, <laughs> but as you sort of navigate through all that that means, I, I, haven't got, I haven't arrived. And to sort of compound things for us, somebody bought us one of these Amazon Alexas recently. And uh, I spend my days just shouting at the stupid thing because it never does what you ask it to do. <laughs> so uh, we need to get a dog, a male dog. No, no, we don't need to get a dog. Anyway, so it, it's, it's difficult. Family life is challenging, it's stressful. I haven't certainly got sussed, I certainly haven't arrived, but uh, I just wanted to share some wee pointers that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks particularly. The reason comedians like Peter Kay and, and uh, Michael McIntyre I think are so popular is because they take real life stories and they share about them. And I think most people, when they're telling the story and embellishing it and you know, adding all these bits and pieces. And I think everybody at one point or another can say, oh, that happened to me, or do you remember that happened to us? And I think that's why they're so funny, because it's so relatable. And they tell a story, or uh, Michael McIntyre tells a story about the difference between people with children and who don't have children leaving the house. So the people who have no children, they just go down, they open the door, they close the door, they go out. But people with children spend about half an hour negotiating with the child. You know, have you put your shoes on? Where's your coat? Have you gone to the toilet? Don't need to go to the toilet. You need to go to the toilet. And it's funny because I think it's so relatable. And it's said that real life is stranger than fiction, quite often funnier than fiction. But of course, real life and family life can be much more challenging than fiction, much more difficult than fiction. For many people, Family life isn't fun and laughter. For some people, it's difficult. It's stressful, challenging. And there can be tragedies as well uh, that come into our family lives. And I don't need to go into detail about how this last year particularly has been challenging. I think everybody can relate to that in one way or another. But particularly for me, uh, I see it in, in our family life, you know, with two teenage daughters. And I think for young people, I think the, the impact of this last year will last for years and years to come. And I think we're going to reap the results of the last year and the difficulties of the last year for many people. And I can say not just for, from personal experience and family life, but from pastoral experience as well, there are many challenges that we are going to face going forward as well on the back of this last strange year that we have lived through. And there's four things that I want to share that are on my mind this morning. Uh, firstly, why is family important? And when I speak about family and think about family, don't switch off if you don't have a family because 
As has already been said this morning, church is family as well, isn't it? We are part of God's family. So why family is important, and then I want to bring a biblical perspective. I want to give some practical advice and guidelines, and then the last thing I'll mention at the end. So why is family uh, important? This is a wee uh, thing that I use quite often in schools when I'm talking about different things. So uh, I was rubbish at physics in school. Uh, I was consistent, mind you, because I was rubbish at most top subjects, but... So if you hold this little thing at that end, nothing happens. And then if I hold it at that end, nothing happens because it's designed for connection. So as soon as you hold both ends together, it, it lights up, it makes a wee noise. And then when you leave go, the connection's broken so it doesn't work. It's designed, it only works when there's connection. Now, ordinarily, what I would do is get somebody to hold the other end off it. And, but of course, in COVID times, you're not allowed to do that. So... So it, it works with connection. When the connection's broken, it doesn't work. And it's my firm belief, and you will say amen to this, I'm sure, that God created us. God is a, a, a God of relationship. He's a God of family. He's a God of connection. He's a God of community. All these things that we enjoy are God's initiative. So marriage is an, an initiative from God. Community is an initiative from a relational God. Family, all of those things both in the sense of the nuclear family and in the sense of church family as well. Those are God's initiatives. And if those are initiatives from God, then in a sense, I don't need to say any more. It's important if it was God's design and if God created us to live in that context. And it's maybe no surprise that family has been under so much attack. And a lot of the hot topic issues, I don't need to go into a lot of detail with them, but a lot of the hot topic issues so work and time pressures, social media, all those things that come in and distract our attention and get us sucked into our own wee world. Abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, gay conversion therapy, all these things that are coming nearly like a tsunami that are coming into our context. If you look at the core of them, they are going to cause huge difficulties for family life. And that doesn't surprise me. Because if God's initiative is for family, in a sense, it's no surprise that family is under attack and under pressure. There's no greater place, I don't think, for shared experience of life than the nuclear physical family and church family. Because we celebrate together, we laugh together, we mourn together, we comfort one another. And that is God's design, it's God's heart. It's a place where we should feel accepted and loved and affirmed and pushed on and challenged and rebuked. But it's a place where love should be unconditional. This is an oversimplistic illustration, but I like it. Uh, there's a dad, you know the way, well, I, I can't speak for you, I can speak for me. When the girls were younger and they're very demanding of your attention, you know, wanting you to do stuff with them. And after a while, when you've given them a lot of time and you want to read the paper or watch something on the TV, and there's a dad who was getting a bit frustrated he had something to do, so he was reading the paper, and he came up with a plan. So he got a bit of the paper out, and he cut all these shapes out, and he put it down as a jigsaw. And he said to his child, now, you, you make the jigsaw, and when you finish the jigsaw, then we'll do the thing you were talking about. So he went back to his paper, and to his horror, in about 10 seconds, the wee child went back and says, I finished the jigsaw. He said, you couldn't possibly have finished it. Yeah, I finished the jigsaw. He says, how did you do it? And on one side of the page, it was just all text. But the child says, Dad, I noticed when you were cutting it out, on the other side, there was a picture of a family. And I knew if I could put that back together, I would put 
the jigsaw back together. I like that. <laughs> because that's God's heart, God's initiative for families to be, to, for people to be together. And life works best when there is that family connection, that family unity. Now, I know that's not always the case. And I know it's not simple. But that's God's heart. So family is important because it was God's design. It's God's heart. Secondly, a biblical perspective. One of the things that I love, one of the many things I love about the Bible is when you read through, it's not full of just perfect people. It's many, many imperfect people that through the grace of God were changed and used for his purposes. But it's not perfect people. It's very flawed people, many of them. And the reason I like that is because I am a flawed person. And I just love that there's a gracious God who can take us and use us with our flaws, with our failures, but who draws us back to himself through his grace and will use us. And that gives me tremendous encouragement. Of course, it's not a license to live as we please, to do what we want, to live in our flawed state. But it does draw us towards the reality of the grace of God and the love of God and the mindset that we need to keep a short account with him as well, but that he will use us. And by God's grace, we need to live lives that are changed through the Holy Spirit and effective for the kingdom of God. After many, many years of captivity in Egypt, and I was encouraged by Derek's reading and prayer at the start, but to get to that point, they came through a lot of challenge and difficulty. And after wandering around, as they stood on the edge of the promised land, an opportunity for freedom, an opportunity for this land that God had been promising them for so long. And in our society, freedom is seen as a right for us to choose what we want to do, live how you please. You'll see that already, and more and more and more you'll see that. And many live with the mantra, live how you want to live. And that is a, a way for a happy, fulfilled life. Of course, the reality is it's a way for chaos and disaster. You live how you want in spite of what other people want. And it just creates chaos and confusion and disaster. And God, of course, knew that. So as they stood on the edge of the promised land with freedom on their very footsteps, God gave them commands to live by. And this is important for us to remember, I think, in 2021 in the society that we live in. So I just want to read through some verses in Deuteronomy 6. So if you have a Bible, you can keep it open. I'm just going to read down through and comment as we go. If you don't, you can just listen in. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So Moses given the instructions by God to the people. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long, happy life. And the first thing that struck me there was that we phrase, fear the Lord. And as we live in relationship with God, we need to have a fear and a reverence for God. And it's easy to forget that. We need to respect him. We need to honor him. We need to appreciate he's holy. And in a sense, we can come to him when we choose, but we need to remember we can't come how we choose. Because God hates sin. We need to fear the Lord and we need to be constantly, I need to be constantly remembered, uh, reminded of that. Have reverence and fear and awe of God. Let's go down to verse 6. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just stuff that we remember. It's not just stuff we get into our brains. It has to make a journey 
just a few inches from our brain down into our heart. Because when it is in our heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That is when it will impact us. That's when it will change us. That's when it will be a reality to us. So it has to be at the very core of what we do and what we think. And then verse 7, impress them on your children. For something to or for you to impress something on someone else, it has to first have made an impression on you. There has to be reality in it. There has to be authenticity in it. It's fundamental. And before we consider, so for me as a, a father, before I consider trying to impress God's word and standards on my children, it has to have made an impression on me first. Because if it doesn't, at best it'll be ineffective. At worst, it'll just be hypocrisy. And they'll see right through it. So it has to have made an impression on us. It has to be authentic. I remember a story of a Sunday school teacher trying to teach the children in his class about how people should see that we're Christians. And he was making the point of living out your faith. But he said to them, so for example, if tomorrow morning I went out and somebody said, he must be a Christian, why do you think they would say that? And there was just silence in the class. And then after a while, one of the children put his hand up and says, well, probably because they don't know you very well. <laughs> well, there can't be truth in that, can't there? It has to be authentic. It has to be lived out faith. If we want to impress the reality of our faith on other people, it has to have impressed us, made an impression on us, and made a lasting impact in our lives. It has to come from personal, lived-out experience, whatever stage you're at in your life and your journey. And the rest of that verse, I was really challenged by this. So it starts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It's not just something when we come to church. It has to be a daily lived out experience. It has to just be natural. So when you get up in the morning, when you're sitting about the house, when you're having a meal, when you're going to bed at night, when you're out for a walk. Now I'm not saying that every waking hour of every day we need to be talking about the Bible and talking about the Lord. But there has to be an element of it where it's not contrived and forced, that it's just natural, it's just normal. So for example, this week, a couple of, over a couple of our meal times, we had conversations about abortion, about conversion therapy and the biblical perspective on those things because they're in the news and the girls are asking questions and more importantly, their friends in school are asking them questions about it. But it just has to be normal and natural. Just talk about it. When Ivan phoned me this morning or texted me, uh, we were halfway through a 36-kilometer cycle. And as we were out, we were down near Strangford, uh, down near Cumber, and we're cycling along with friends, uh, good friends from church. We're talking about different bits and pieces, but at various points, we're just talking about the Lord and the creation. It wasn't contrived, wasn't forced. We're just out enjoying that. And it caused us to think about God. That's what it has to be. Because then it's real and it's impactive. And linked to that, by the way, we're doing two wee fundraisers. One for international justice mission and one for prostate cancer. So if you want to support, even in a very small way, you can have a wee look on Facebook and Instagram and what have you. But it, it's just normal, natural, part of everyday life. And I think this is going to become more important for us as a society, particularly with the education system, which will move away and become increasingly secular. What people hear in the home, what children hear in the home, what we expose ourselves to will be fundamental. And teaching our children will become more and more and more important as this tidal wave of secularism sweeps over our nation. Verse 7 says, tie them 
as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. So those were leather boxes, phylacteries. And they literally tied them around their head and tied them on their left arm, close to their heart. And that's where we need to keep the word of God in our minds, close to our heart. And from our perspective at home, we have uh, all of you, or many of you I'm sure, will have little scripture references or verses on a plaque or on a, a picture. This is one, you won't be able to read it, but this is one in our hallway. I like this. I can't remember where I came across it. It's not uh, a passage of scripture, but it's a prayer. And it says, Dear God, help me today to accept that my call is to be a servant and not a hero, to be a storyteller and not a story subject, to de decrease so that Jesus may increase. Amen. And I just try, as I remember, to pray that prayer as I go out the door. I don't pray it every day, but as I glance at it sometimes when I'm on the way out, it reminds me, it grounds me. I'm a servant of the living God of heaven. God, use me today. And I think things like that are useful for us in terms of lived out faith in our daily lives. So have them somewhere. The context for Deuteronomy 6 was not just that individual family members would have an impact on the life of children and young people. It was that the community, the nation would do that. And that is the job of the church. Now, be careful in this. Don't meddle, because that's easy to do, isn't it? I wouldn't have said that, or I wouldn't have done that. Or that or, but what we need to do, people who have experience, is get alongside other people, encourage them, support them, help them, love them, pray for them. As together we try to live out our faith and raise this next generation to follow God. And that is one of the core challenges to the church as well, not just to leave people to get on with it. So these instructions, these decrees, these commands were given to the nation. And what was the response? You don't have to turn to these. Let me just read these verses to you. So sometime later, Joshua said to the people and reminded them, Joshua 24, 19, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you. But the people said, no, we will serve the Lord. They were adamant that they would serve the Lord. And then Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it's a staggering verse for me. After that, whole generation died and were gathered to their fathers. A new generation grew who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I can't get my head around how that verse is in the Bible. So here's the people, yes, Lord, we'll do this. We'll follow you, we'll live for you, we'll put these things in place. And a generation later, none of the young people knew anything about God. And that can only be because they didn't live it out. They didn't tell them. They turned away to false gods, to follow false gods, and turned away from their first love. That is a huge challenge to us. They paid lip service. This has to be lived out authentic, authentic faith. And in a society that's increasingly anti-God, we need to be careful that we don't get sucked into that. We need to live as passionate followers of Christ and make an impact so that this generation follow God and live for him. Let me give you some, thirdly, some practical advice and guidelines. A couple of weeks ago when I started to think about this, I put a post on Instagram and Facebook uh, just to gain sort of people's perspectives. And I asked the question, what are the most important aspects for a healthy family life? And these are some comments that people made. And I like them, so I'm going to share them with you. Some of you will have said these things. A healthy marriage where you're humble and honest with each other. God-fearing parents with individual faith. Compassionate listeners to children. Parents who are willing to consistently apply both grace and consequences. 
spending time together without distractions, social media, all that sort of stuff, eating meals at the table, giving thanks for meals, reading God's word and praying with the children, spending time together indoors and outdoors, engaging in conversation, honesty, laughing together, crying together, apologizing often. Us men know more about that. Humility, eating meals. I'm not saying women don't apologize, just men have more to apologize for generally. Eating meals, watching movies, going outside, and then somebody said, love is spent, T-I-M-E. I like that. It's a Deuteronomy 6 model, isn't it? It's just natural, normal, everyday life with trying to put God at the very core of that. You know the thing I notice about all of those things? They're simple. <laughs> They're doable if we want to do them, if we give them priority. None of them are rocket science. They're simple, normal, everyday things, or they should be. And God has designed us to do them. But we allow stuff to get into the, place, into the way of them. And it doesn't always have to be lofty theological things that we put into place in our lives. There has to be that aspect, of course. But sometimes it just has to be practical things. Putting Christ at the core. Some misperceptions. Everyone else's family is normal apart from mine. Your family is as abnormal as everybody's family. <laughs> and that is just the reality of life. People in full-time Christian service have perfect families. They might have Instagram filter families. I can tell you they don't have perfect families. Those are misperceptions. There's a couple very close to us who've had a huge impact on us in terms of our marriage and our children. Older couple, very, very godly couple. And sadly, their children have made decisions to turn away from God. So see if you're in that position. Don't beat yourself up about that. That can come in sometimes and cause terrible, terrible hurt. And you nearly feel that you've failed. God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. So if, if that is the case for you, I would say to you tenderly, you keep loving your children, you keep praying for your children, and you keep God at the core of your relationship with him and pray that God would draw them back. I don't understand why their children have gone away from God because in terms of a godly home and influence, I can't think of a greater one, to be honest with you. But of course, people make their own choices and decisions. Let me just say something from our experience as a family. Tell your children and whoever's in your family that you love them and mean it. I say that every day to Heidi and the girls, many times during the day. Some people never hear that. Some people never hear that, that they're loved. So tell them that you love them and show them that you love them. One of the things for us during the first lockdown that was a blessing to us as a family, every lunchtime, uh, we each took a turn and we were going through the Psalms. So we just would come, sit together. Somebody would share a Psalm, what they learned from it, maybe play a song relating to it. And it was such a precious time. And you know what? It wasn't contrived. It was just not normal and natural. And for me, one of the greatest things was both Ellie and Lara probably brought a lot more out of the Bible than I could ever bring out of it. It was it's just precious. But it was just a normal part of life. Now already, as life has started to get busy again, we have seen that starting to slip and we need to be intentional about that. But those are good things to do as families. Just share together, just read together, pray together. Talking at mealtimes. We spend almost every mealtime together and we just chat. Laughter. I am probably, this will not come as a surprise to you, I'm possibly the most immature in our house. 
I laugh a lot at silly things. Happy or Heidi sometimes looks at me with despair, but we laugh a lot. We live in a world that's broken and sad, and we need to learn to laugh. That's the design of God, <laughs> so let's do it. Spending time together, that'll become more challenging, and we've already seen that as the girls start to get that wee bit older and more independent. But it's important to be intentional about spending time together, and we do that. I mentioned the phylacteries. Uh, some of you will be aware of uh, slugs and bugs sing the Bible. For me, those are the greatest, one of the greatest things to get the Word of God into the minds of children. So if you look, it's Randall Good Game, Slugs and Bugs Sing the Bible. They are brilliant songs based purely on what the Bible teaches. This is not just for parents. This is for community. And as I mentioned about that for the Israelites, there's a couple that came to my mind and I asked them permission to mention them. They go to the Donald Gospel Hall, David and Gail Gillespie. They don't have children of their own. Uh, they're now probably in their mid-50s. And uh, they have spent their life investing in the children who come along, largely from the Ballybean estate, in the Donald Gospel Hall. And they have been there for them, they've spent time with them, they've taken them out places. And I, I just love their mindset and their heart that here's a couple who haven't been able to have children of their own, but they've invested in the children who come to that place. And that should be, whether you have children or not, that should be our heart to invest in this next generation. There's a young girl that comes to our church. I had the privilege of taking her wedding last summer. Uh, she's 22, Charlotte, and quite often she'll phone Ellie and they'll go out for a walk or a coffee. And you know what she's doing? She's investing in our daughter. And that is precious for us as parents. She's living out her faith and she's telling our daughter her experience of that. These things are so, so important. And I would encourage you to do that as a church family. And of course, there's grandparents and, and all the rest of it. So we've thought about why family is important, uh, about a biblical, biblical perspective, some practical suggestions. And let me just say, finally, I read finally to you from 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what, not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We need to keep an eternal perspective. If you read to the end of the Bible, God wins. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. Now, I'm not making light of real difficulties that people are living through. But as we do live through, live through those, we need to keep an eternal perspective in our mind of a God who cares deeply for us and passionately for us. Two last things, practically. This is Heidi's book, Choosing Love in a Broken World. And the, the idea behind this book is for uh, a mom with sort of teenage girls, young to right the way through to uh, teenage girls, or uh, a youth leader or whatever, but it's to go through with, it's a book about relationships and what they should look like in a world that has hugely distorted them. So I would commend that book to you. I have some with me. They're five pound, two for a tenner. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're worried about exchanging money on a Sunday, I will not give it to Heidi until tomorrow, so she'll not be able to spend it until at least tomorrow morning. Uh, but I would commend that to you. And lastly, this is a, a friend of ours uh, in America who's written this book, Every Moment Holy. Their liturgies are prayers for everyday life. And I love them because I think that's important, you know, living intentionally. And this is, uh, for, for those of you who are at this stage, 
This is a liturgy for changing diapers or nappies, we would call them. So let me just read this to you before I pray. It's keeping that big picture, eternal perspective in your mind. Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper, I would remember this truth. My unseen labors are not lost, for it is these repeated acts of small sacrifice, like bright, ragged patches, are slowly being sewn into the quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. I'm not just changing a diaper. By love and service, I'm tending a budding heart that rooted early in such grace-filled devotion might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction, knowing itself then as both a receptacle and a reservoir of heavenly grace. So this little act of diapering, though in form sometimes felt as base drudgery, might be better described as one of 10,000 acts by which I'm actively creating a culture of compassionate service and selfless love to shape the life of this family and this beloved child. So take this unremarkable act of necessary service of Christ and in your economy, let it be multiplied into the greater outworking of worship and of faith, a true investment in the incremental advance of your kingdom across the generations. Open my eyes that I may see this act for what it is, from the fixed vantage of eternity, O Lord, how the changing of a diaper might sit upstream of the changing of a heart, how the changing of a heart might sit upstream of the changing of the world. I just think that's precious. And it's keeping our mindset that in all these menial tasks, particularly as we have children and raised children, you're preparing hearts to love and serve the living God of heaven. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of family and community. Thank you for the gift of church. And Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to be intentional. Help us to put you first in our lives. Help us to be natural and normal about our lived out faith and to show that to people around us. And God, help us to keep kingdom at the very center of our minds and hearts as we live in an increasing secular humanist world. Help us to shine bright like stars in the universe and draw men and women and young people to Christ in his name and for his glory. Amen.